0: For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, Father God, we come before you and recognize that we fall so short of what you've just asked of us, Lord, but we know that by your grace and by your spirit, you're able to bring change and transform us. And it's our prayer this morning that as Robin teaches, that you would fill him with your spirit, that he would speak words that would be encouraging and challenging, and that each one of us would recognize where you are. the work that you need to do, because Father, it's our desire that as a community, we corporately reflect Jesus to the people around us, Lord, that they would be drawn to um, seek you because of the, the, of the love that they see between the brothers and sisters here in this gathering. So we give Robin to you now and ask that you use him um, to further this purpose for the glory of Jesus in this place of Antalya. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Didn't the kids do a great job? Yeah? Yeah. Sorry. Do you think... Marilyn always tells me off. Marilyn's a, my wife is a counselor, for those who don't know. So every time I ask a closed question like that, I hear her voice going, Don't ask closed questions. Ask open questions. <laughs> anyway, um, this is the last message in the series that we've been doing on the one another's the New Testament. Uh, we started off looking at uh, love one another, and went on to unpack that, looking at the other one another's, and then you well some of them anyway, uh, bearing with and forgiving one another, uh, serving one another, encouraging one another, and accepting one another. Um, there's a whole bunch of other one another's, like forty or fifty of them, but uh, we figured we'd, we'd stick with that for now. Maybe look at the others some other time. Appropriately enough, this passage in First Peter is also a winding up passage. Peter's been giving instructions to the church on how they should behave in various contexts. Uh, With reference to the political and civil authorities, he tells them to be obedient and to show proper respect. He tells slaves to be obedient to their masters and wives to submit to their husbands. And he tells husbands to treat treat their wives with respect as equals. Then in verse 8, he winds up this whole section with a general statement about how we should live as Christians. He says, finally, all of you, because he's just talked to various groups, right? So, he's, so he's, he's gathering everybody together now and going, finally, all of you, just in case anybody thought they were, you know, like, um, you know, not covered by what he's about to say. Uh, this is for everybody. I remember many years ago seeing a cartoon in a Christian um, newspaper well, magazine, whatever, there's two guys. They're, room, they're obviously roommates, and they're sitting at the kitchen table. And it's evening, and one of them has his Bible open and a pen in hand. And he's busily working on his Bible with his, with his pen. And his roommate, roommate looks over approvingly and says, underlining your favorite verses? His friend looks up surprised. Oh, no, just scoring out the bits that don't apply to me. We might not be so crass as to put it like that, I actually score bits out of the Bible, but there's a temptation in our minds to set some parts aside. Well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not and fill in the gap, right? Well, Peter doesn't give us that option. He says, This is for all of us. Finally, all of you, no exceptions. And the thing that he calls us to do is to live in harmony with one another. Now, if you look at the various translations, you'll see that almost every translation has a different way of translating this word, and it's only one word in Greek. Um, Be like-minded, be of one mind, be agreeable, be harmonious, they all kind of capture part of the, the meaning. Be of one mind is good. I think we're all quite willing to be of one mind. So long as the one mind that we're talking about is our own, (laughs) how often do we enter into a conversation, discussion, at work, at home, in the church, with a simple goal of bringing everybody else around to our point of view, right? And we talked about that, that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about accepting one another. Nothing wrong with having strong opinions, so long as you realize that personal opinions are just that, personal. The unfortunate thing about trying to bring people around to our point of view, to you know, the one mind in question to be our mind, is that Philippians 2.5 calls us all to have the same mind in Christ, as Christ. And that kind of cramps our style, because it means that we need to be guided in what we do, not by our personal preferences or opinions, or in fact, by our traditions or history, or even by those most powerful words in the church, We have always done it this way. We need to be guided by the mind of Christ. And we find the mind of Christ in Scripture. It's where we go for direction. It's where we go for vision. It's where we go for correction. And we can't be a healthy Christian community unless our life together is guided, corrected, and steered by the mind of Christ as revealed in the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to be the same. In fact, it means that we have to be different. That's one of the reasons I like the translation live in harmony with one another. I like harmony. And thank you, Jim, where are you? Thank you, Jim. For Jim did not know what I was preaching on this morning, but he picked a whole bunch of songs you can sing harmony to, um, and so I really appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I don't don't remember ever being taught to sing harmony. I just kind of picked it up in my late teens from two sources. Um, One was church, which I started attending around then. And the other was folk nights in pubs, which I also started attending around the same time. (laughs) I was a teenager, right? Um, And for those of you who are from the UK, you might have noticed I do this when I'm singing harmony. (laughs) That's, that's a dead giveaway that, he, that I learned to sing in pubs. Uh, um, that may sound a little strange, actually, to some people that, I, that I did pubs and church at the same time. But it was the height of the folk, folk revival in the 70s in the UK. And um, particularly a cappella harmony was a really big thing. And I can remember when I was, my one year I spent at University in Manchester, there was a place called the Welcome Inn in Rushome. And every Tuesday night, a whole bunch of people just cram, cram into this tiny little, what do you call it, snug in, in, a, in a pub in the UK, about 30 of us standing there like this or sitting there like this. And someone would start off a song and sing, sing the verse and the whole room would join in in multiple heart part harmony in the, uh, on the chorus. And that's how I learned to sing harmony. Um, it's actually one of the things I miss most in a lot of contemporary worship music since it's so shaped by popular music, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with worship music being shaped by popular music. The song we just sung is shaped by Turkish popular music, right? That's just, that's just the way worship works. Um, but contemporary worship music is based on basically one lead singer with a backing track. It's kind of, you know, quite a complex backing track usually. And there's been exceptions in the history of, you know, popular music, the Beach Boys, Queen... More recently, the Backstreet Boys and Pentatonics, who some people really really like, which is actually an a cappella band. But generally speaking, there's very little harmony or space for harmony. And I get really tired of singing in unison all the time. So um, thank you again, Jim. Um, the thing is, you don't get harmony when everyone sings the same melody. No? To get harmony, people need to be singing a number of different things at the same time. We had a little bit of that this morning in the, um, in the male and female sections. Um, but it isn't random. There are rules. For starters, it helps if everybody's in the same key. <laughs> that kind of you know, rules out certain notes as being out of bounds. Um, it also helps if you don't have too many harmony lines, because then it just gets very confusing. It's hard to figure out where the melody is. And um, that, Sometimes you can hear that. It's like, where, where exactly is the melody in this? It's a wonderful chord going on here with all these voices, but where is the melody? Anyway, I'd like to suggest that the, at the core of our identity of, as a community of faith, we have a melody that might be summed up as something like, a people who love God and celebrate our life together in Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the power of the Spirit. That's our melody. We can harmonize around that, but that's our melody. It leaves a lot of room for harmonic variation in the ways we express our love to God, in the ways that we express our love to one another. But that's who we are, a people who love God and celebrate our life together in Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the power of the Spirit. And Peter lays out some harmony lines here uh, in what he writes. Many of them are terms that we've heard before in the series. So just remind, Remind us of what they mean. He says that we should be sympathetic. Now, in today's English, sympathetic has been significantly weakened in meaning. So much so that people today are much more likely to describe themselves as empathetic than sympathetic. If you compare them online, you'll find that sympathy is described as feeling sorry for or pity for a pe- person, while empathy is experiencing someone else's feelings as if they were your own. Unfortunately, experiencing another's fearing feelings along with them is precisely what the Greek word sympatheo means, where we get our word sympathy from. That's exactly what the word means, to feel together. There is a Greek word called empathia, empathia Means passion or emotional state, but doesn't appear in the New Testament, and it certainly doesn't mean what it means in English. Actually, empathy is really new. It only appeared in English in 1909 for the first time. Um, it's a translation of a German psychological thing. Um, now, my point is that we shouldn't be misled by modern meanings of the word sympathetic. When Peter was writing, it meant Enter, inter, entering into the experience of someone else. Didn't mean feeling pity for them or anything like that. It meant literally feeling alongside with them. So much so that one interlinear translates it as co-suffering. Sympath- being sympathetic is to suffer together with someone. To feel together. To weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Part of living in harmony is to make the effort. And for some of us, it, it is an effort. Some of us do this naturally. Others of us, like me, have to work at it. Is to understand people who are very different and to enter, seek to enter into their experience, to feel with them, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. He also says to love as brothers. The Greek word is philadelphos, and it doesn't just apply to men. It describes a kind of love that there operates in a healthy family where family members are there for each other. And that's the model of we as, the way that we as Christians are supposed to care for one another. It's a particularly Christian concept. The word doesn't actually even appear in Greek outside of Christian writings, it's this idea of brotherly love for one another. Then he says, be compassionate. Now, in case you have noticed already, I'm a bit of a word geek. Um, it's interesting to me that our word, our English word, compassion, is an essential, essentially a direct translation into Latin of sum the Greek word for to suffer together. But the, word, the Greek word here is actually something else. I'm I'll I'll, I'll always having a problem with this word which literally means having good guts. Seriously, that's what it means, having good guts. Um, Because you see, the the Greeks saw the seat of the emotions as being a little lower down in the body than we do in English, right? So a good translation, as some translations do, being good-hearted or tender-hearted, because that's where, in English, that's where the emotions lie, right? In, in, In Greek, the emotions lie in the down here. That's why in the older translations you talk about the people, talk, the, the scriptures talk about the bowels of compassion. So that's, yeah. We all, different cultures attach different emotions to different parts of the body, right? But it can be hard to keep your heart tender. If you've been hurt, the natural response is to protect your heart, right? If our hearts are always getting beat up on, they can develop a callous on them, like calluses on hands from working hard. It's not the way it should be. We need to work to keep our hearts tender so we can respond to those around us in loving ways. The last word in this list on verse 8 is humble. Humble is Being humble, humility, isn't about self-abasement. I like one definition, which is humility is having a modest opinion of yourself. Humble people are secure in who they are. They don't clamor for recognition or honor. They're not always talking about themselves. If they do receive honor, they graciously receive it and then move on. As a child in school, I established a habit of seeking recognition for my academic achievements and finding all my value in that. As a result, this is an area I still Work to see humility worked in my life. Um, I know my heart, and um, I know how much it wants to be congratulated and recognized. And stuff. And God is still working on me. So some, sometimes, if if you know, sometimes if people will come up to me and thank me for a good sermon or stuff like that, I'm I was, I was perhaps a little bit standoffish about it. That's because I'm dealing with that issue in my heart and my. I'm aware of that need and, well, desire in my heart. It's something I'm still working on. So 1 Peter was written to Christians who begin to experience some persecution. And he goes on in verse 9 to discuss how to respond to people who treat you badly. Now, in the ministry that Marilyn and I have been a part of for most of our lives, we have a term for what he, call, he talks about here. We call it responding in the opposite spirit. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. This isn't easy to do. There are two natural responses when someone does something bad to us or we're insulted. One is to withdraw and have nothing to do with them. The other is to get even. Neither of them are acceptable to us as believers. Years ago, before Marilyn and I were married, we were part of a team pioneering a a new ministry, uh, urban ministry center in Amsterdam. Uh, There were about hundred of us living in this building that had previously had squatters in it. If you've ever been to Amsterdam, uh, you come by the central station and you look over to the left and there's this big building. On the the top of the building, there's a couple of lights. It says, Jesus loves you, chodruptu. It used to be the headquarters of the uh, Salvation Army. And so the, we were the team that, part of the team that pioneered that ministry. Uh, there was about hundreds of us living in the building. There was one toilet and no shower. Um, it was a bit rough. Uh, it's much nicer now. <laughs> um, a few months into our time, uh, a young man came to the Lord on the street. And he moved into the building with us because that was a model of ministry. People move into the community with you. Every liked him. When he said he wanted to go to England um, to tell his family about the change in his life, we all helped him with money. Then he was robbed and the money was taken, so we helped him again. Then money started disappearing from the community. To make a long story short, Rick was a con artist. When he told us he'd been robbed, he hadn't. He'd actually just gone and bashed his face against the wall and then, you know, asked, you know, then fleeced the community again to replace the money that had supposedly been stolen. When he, when he was going to visit his sister in town, he was actually visiting his girlfriend. After doing some digging, the leaders found there was a warrant out for his arrest in Belgium for doing exactly the same thing. They confronted him, and even as they drove him to the border, he was still trying to spin tails at them. It hit the community really hard. I still remember Floyd McClung, who was leading the community at the time, standing up in front of a community meeting and telling us all about what what happened. Then he said something that has stuck with me ever since. He said that If we allowed what happened to make us more protective of ourselves, if as a result of being hurt by this one guy, we withdrew and became less willing to be involved in people's lives, if in short we hardened our hearts, then Satan would have won. If we want to see people's lives changed, we have to be willing to take risks. We will be hurt we will be taking advantage of. That's part of reaching out into a broken world, is you will be hurt, and you will be taken advantage of. Following Jesus is not a guarantee of an easy, protected life. The servant is not greater than the master, and they crucified the master. That word, that Peter calls us, do their blessing. Blessing is primarily about speaking well of others. It's actually basically the same word that we use for what we do at people's funerals, a eulogy. Um, The point of a eulogy is to speak well of the dead. The point of blessing is to speak well of the living, even if they speak ill of you. But Peter seems to tie it to both speaking and doing. So if if people speak or do evil towards us, our response has to be to speak and do good to them. We can't do this by ourselves. We have to turn to Jesus and ask him to give us his heart for people. There's a lovely section of one of my favorite movies. The The film is Paradise Road. Anybody here seen Paradise Road? My wife, okay. <laughs> Darn. Anybody, anybody here know like Bruce Beresford movies? Everybody know who Bruce Beresford is? He's the director of Driving Miss Daisy. Okay? Everybody seen Driving Miss Daisy? Okay, anyway. Anyway. Bit of a film buff. Okay. Um, so the Paradise Road is a true story of a group of women who are interned in Sumatra by the Japanese during the Second World War. One of the lead characters is uh, a missionary it 's a true story, okay One of the lead characters is a missionary and it, well, well just as a side um' talking about harmony uh in the movie, in order to keep up the 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 spirits of the women, they actually start what's what they call a vocal orchestra, and the first piece that they do is Dvorak's New World Symphony with nothing but women's voices. The movie is worth it just for the music. Anyway. <coughs> okay, so one of the, one of the lead characters is, is a missionary who actually is the one who writes out all the, all the, 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 the music. And uh, at one point in the movie, one woman, another woman says to her, you don't hate them, do you? Talking about the Japanese captors who... I treated them appallingly. This one woman goes, you don't hate them, do you? And the missionary's response is precious. He goes, no, I've tried, but I just can't. The worse they behave, the more sorry I feel for them. That's the heart of Jesus right there. The worse they behave, the more sorry I feel for them. And you don't get a heart like that by striving for it or by any other route than by spending time with Jesus and understanding his heart for people. This is what we're called to. If you decide to watch the movie, watch the iTunes version. It's a director's cut. Okay? In Mark 3, it says that Jesus called his disciples to be with him and then to do the various other things like going out and preaching. And it's only as we spend time with him that we begin to understand what is important to him. Which brings us back to having one mind, the mind of Christ. Which is at the core of what Peter is saying here. But it doesn't stop there. It should be enough that Jesus calls us to walk in his way and live like he did. But there's more. There's actually a blessing in this for us. To this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless the the church in Turkey, both national and expat. And he does bless. In fact, he blesses everybody. As the scripture says, he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. However, there's special blessings for those who live in the way that he would have us live. By the way, Jesus also said, The measure you give is the one that you will receive. So in a way, we get to pick the size of the measure that he blesses us with. You know, a half liter, a liter, one of those big buckets. So it says, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What Peter is saying is there are blessings associated with living a godly life. Now, why would he say that? Because his Bible told him so, right? Peter and Paul the New Testament didn't have the New Testament. They didn't know they were writing the New Testament and their letters to one another and stuff. They didn't have the Gospels. Although Gospels come before the letters in the New Testament, most of them are written after the letters. What they had was the Old Testament. That's what he taught from. So Peter goes to his Bible and he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Actually, he probably had that memorized long, big chunks of the Old Testament. The idea isn't you'll have an easy life but you'll have a life worth living. It's the opposite of what the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about. Meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. A meaningful life doesn't come from what you do. It isn't a function of your job description. No matter what your job description is, a meaningful life is not a function of your job description. A meaningful life is a function of how you live. That means that Anybody can do this, irrespective of what you do or don't do for a living. You can bless people by speaking well of them and doing good for them. Where there's strife, you can be one who seeks peace rather than making it worse. If you do these things, you could say that God is on your side. But it'd be better to say that you are on God's side. This is what we're called to to live for God and to bless others. If we'll do that, we'll see God's blessing in our midst. If we don't, if we withdraw or tries to safeguard ourselves and what we, and what we have, we'll miss God's blessing. The one and others of the New Testament give us really practical directions for how to live our lives. And our lives together are a big part of the message that we carry. So thank you for praying that at the beginning, Donna, that, you know, a large part of the message we carry is our lives together. That, as I quoted from Leslie Newbegin a couple of weeks ago, that the, the, the church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. It's the, the key to the interpretation of the message that we, that we share. It's, so this is not, these are not optional extras. This is core to what it means to be a Christian. Let's commit ourselves to live, live this out by God's grace in our daily lives. Let's pray. Lord, I want to echo Donna's prayer that we fall so far short of what you're calling us to here. But that doesn't excuse us from seeking to follow the call. So Lord, we hear this call Lord, we ask for your grace in our lives to be true to the call that you've put on our lives, to be your people in the world, to live in ways that reflect your character, to live in ways that draw people to you. Lord Jesus, help us to truly be all these things, sympathetic, compassionate, Humble Lord, help us to live with your mind. And Lord, we want to pray for a number of things this morning as well. Lord, talked about weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Lord, we thank you for the recent ceasefire in Ethiopian conflict. We've been praying for that on and off for months now. So, Lord, we pray that this ceasefire would hold. Lord, we, we weep with those who have lost loved ones and we rejoice at this step towards peace and ask, Lord, that you would give strength to those who want to see this ceasefire hold. Likewise, Lord, we, we rejoice with the, the, the people of Ukraine at the liberation of Kherson. And, we rec- and yet we recognize, Lord, that there's hundreds of thousands of dead and wounded already and that there's no easy, no easy end in sight, no end soon in sight. So, Lord, we pray for those who are suffering in this war, and we pray for a just solution to it. Likewise, Lord, next door in Iran, more than 300 protesters killed by the government already. And, Lord, we pray for, for Iran. And we pray for um, that those, those deaths might not have been in vain. Lord, we pray for freedom to come to that country. And we pray for our, Rani, our Iranian brothers and sisters here in Antalya as they carry this burden on their hearts so much more than we do. And we pray for them, Lord, as their, their families and friends are in jeopardy Lord, and they long to return home. Lord, we pray for a change there. Yesterday, Lord, we were reminded of just how fragile our um, our lives here are, with the earthquake drill. Um, so, Lord, we just pray for this this nation, um, recognizing we live in an earthquake-prone zone and there's never any warning. Um, Lord, we pray that... Uh, when the next one comes, as it will, uh, that homes will be safe and people will be secure. And Lord, we pray for people in our own community. Lord, we pray for Rosie and her cataract surgery tomorrow, that that would go well. Lord, we pray for Carolyn's brother-in-law going into surgery for abdominal and abdominal aortic aneurysm. Lord, we pray for Miriam's friend, Gisela, struggling with COVID. Uh, And Lord, we pray for Nick's grandmother who just went into hospital last night. Pray for the, um, the, give the, the, the doctor's wisdom, Lord, and help the family process this. Lord, we lift all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.